Open your Bibles with me this morning to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. I speak to you this morning on behalf of your king. If you think of this pulpit as any less than that, you don't think highly enough of it. Forget the person in the pulpit and forget the pulpit itself, but consider the office and the responsibility and the message that you're about to get. It's from your king. And your king is the Lord Jesus Christ. And your king has a message and he is a king. And I am his ambassador and he expects to be obeyed in his messages to be esteemed and for you to have enough attention to be able to listen for a few minutes. I speak on behalf of the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. This King did not commission me to entertain you, nor to make you feel good every Sunday. This King has commissioned me to help you, by His grace and His Spirit, to live a holy life until He comes again. Because He has left us in the cesspool of this world where we must live holy lives in order to please Him. And the purpose for this church is not entertainment or a social outlet. It is for us to exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, and we depart from the living God. I speak on behalf of the King. And here's what I have to say to you. Luke chapter 9 And verse 23, this is the word of the king to you. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross daily and follow me. Those are the words that I have for you today. This is a message from your king. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ would preach if he were here this morning and he said to them all if any man will come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me i hope that you all want to be the disciples of the lord jesus christ i happen to know for a fact that most of you have already been baptized in his name at some point in your life, you were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's right. You were buried in water and, ris- and rose ag- and taken up from that water in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, showing a testimony to the world and answering with a good conscience to God Himself that you wanted to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Right. You wanted to follow Him. Right. You wanted to be one of this King's disciples. Well, this is what the disciple has to say to those who think they want to follow Him. If any man will come after me, if any man is going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is an offer. These are the conditions of discipleship of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am not giving you today an offer or conditions for eternal life. I'm giving you Today, an offer and the conditions for being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of those trusted ones, one of those noble ones that followed Jesus when he was here in this world is still open. And there's precious few that want to follow him this way. 
But this is what he would say to you if he were here today. This is the message from the king. I'm sorry. I study lots of exciting things, and my ministry is different than it used to be. You're just going to have to endure Luke 9.23 today. Let's look at the... Let me first of all tell you, I want you to know this verse. I'm gonna, I've already repeated it three times. I know I can keep track of things while I'm speaking to you. By the end of this day, you're going to know this verse, and you're going to know it word for word. But I want to tell you the most important word in it. There's one word that I want you if, you... if you can't remember the verse when you go home today, I want you to remember one word. Daily! Amen. Daily! Right. Daily! Do you know how long it takes you to backslide? Today! Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. We are all given to backsliding. And I fear it for this church every day. Every day. I fear it for the pastor of this church every day. Because it only takes a few minutes. And you can feel your soul backsliding. You are always sliding backwards unless you are doing this. Only those that do this will hold their ground. And we are, we are told in Ephesians chapter 6 to stand. And having done all, to stand, right. not to be sliding backward. Please stay with me for a little while this morning. We'll do half of it, and we'll do the other tonight. I could race through it, but I want you to hear this word. Take up your cross daily. Right. Because that's what we've got to do to follow the king that I represent. Have, have I made myself clear enough? My job is not to entertain you, make you happy, or give us some social outlet where we hear a nice sounding speech. I read this week in Isaiah chapter 30 on another subject that I prepared all week until 1 o'clock yesterday afternoon to preach to you on another subject where the, the Israelites told their prophets, they said, don't prophesy to us right things. Right. Prophesy to us smooth things take away the Lord God from before us and see I went and witnessed some of that last Sunday I want to give you the right thing I have nothing smooth for you except if your heart's in the right place if your heart's in the right place this is smooth I'm smoothly excited about Luke 9.23 and I want to smoothly live it without a whole lot of blips and valleys Because this is something that needs to be done daily. And if we do it daily, we can get to the end of our lives and have lived a life mortified and crucified for the Lord Jesus Christ if we do it day by day. Let's get the big context of this verse. And let's do it by going to Matthew chapter 16. All three of the first three Gospels, I should say, have this exchange between Jesus and and his apostles, in particular Peter. But only one has the word daily. That's why we're in Luke 9.23. That's the one I want you to remember. And see, we compare Scripture with Scripture, which is one of the memory verses for this week, 1 Corinthians 2.13. We compare Scripture with Scripture to make sure we get that word daily. This is a lengthy passage, but I want you to see the context. It will help you understand Luke 9.23. We're going to begin at verse 13. I'm going to read a few verses. I'll explain. We'll read a few more. Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, 
he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. The first thing I want to mention to you from the context is being a disciple. You want to be a soldier, a follower, a disciple, a student, a pupil of someone? Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is not being a disciple of John the Baptist, Jeremiah, Elijah, or one of the prophets. It's not being the disciple of a good man. It's being the disciple of the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the first thing I want you to notice about the context is that this statement about discipleship is based on the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And He is the one I'm representing this morning, speaking to you. Verse 17. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. That is, to recognize that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, was by divine revelation. And if you know that and believe it this morning, in a saving way, that is in a way that results in a godly life with good works, it is by the blessing of God, flesh and blood never revealed it to you. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, and that rock is not Peter, but that rock is the profession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. I don't don't know why I've never heard verse 20 in any missionary crusade. I don't know why they leave that verse out. It's in all the Gospels. And he repeats it over and over again, but that's a, that's a rabbit that we'll leave for some other time. The point I want you to get from verses 17 through 19 is that this Lord Jesus Christ, of whom we can be his disciple, has kingdom authority. The gates of hell can't prevail against him when he commissions his servants and his disciples. And he is going to give them the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The apostles had apostolic authority to open and close the kingdom of heaven to whomsoever they would. And they did. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is a glorious kingdom. And his divine authority and his kingdom and his victory are not things that we should lightly esteem. You should think right now, I see how the pastor is setting us up by reading the context of the word of God showing us that Jesus is pointing out the glory of his kingdom and the power that he had. It is the most it is the highest calling in the world Amen. to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Right. That you're even hearing those words this morning is a blessing. That you have anything in your heart even if it's 1% desire for that is a blessing from God. Amen. And I'm going to fan it a little hotter than 1% if the Lord will help me. Listen, my words coming out of this mouth, from this heart, through this mind, are vanity. 
But the Holy Spirit of God, I hope, will take it to every one of your hearts. There is nothing that this life has to offer except being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you try to cheat that in any way, shape, or form, as I'm going to teach you this day, you lose. You lose in this life, and you lose in the next life. Unless God is overwhelming in His grace and mercy towards you. You lose. I don't want anyone to lose under the sound of my voice because the king does not want any to be lost. Right. He wants them all to be saved. And that is all of you to be saved, to be his disciples. We come now to verse 21. Glory, we just showed you a glorious kingdom with kingdom authority and power, but look what Jesus Christ begins to say. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. And brethren, this is essential to understanding Luke 9.23. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He has divine authority and power, and He has a kingdom. He is a king. But His kingdom, and being His disciple, is one of suffering. And if you do not understand that, nor perceive it, nor appreciate it, you do not savor the things that are of God. You savor or taste or enjoy or desire the things that be of men, you lose. This is not Jonathan Crosby threatening anyone. This is your king threatening you. If you savor the Christian life as being something always pleasant and easy and without suffering, without self-denial, you lose. Because you are savoring things in a worldly, carnal, natural way and not the way that you are supposed to. Peter did that here on this case, and the Lord Jesus Christ would turn to him and use the strongest of metaphors or similes and say, Satan actually addressed him as Satan because his words were so satanic in their origin. Jesus Christ was going to suffer, and Jesus Christ was going to die. And brethren, guess what? That is what we are going to do to show that we are his disciples. We are going to choose cheerfully to suffer and to die so that we can live with him forever. And if you don't savor that, do I need to chase down the word savor? If you don't understand and appreciate and enjoy that, then you don't know how to savor the things of God. And you are thinking only in a natural way and you're savoring the things of this life and the things of this world which are at enmity against God. And his son, Jesus Christ. And if you love them, you cannot love Jesus Christ. You cannot be his disciple. If you love him, you're going to hate this world and all the things that are in it. I hope I've said enough about those verses to show you how Jesus Christ has just moved from I I am the Christ, the son of the living God, to his divine authority to be a king in his kingdom, and how the gates of hell won't be able to prevail against it. However, it's a spiritual kingdom, and it means while you're in this world, you're going to suffer and die naturally. Right. This is Christianity 
And it's exciting when your heart's in the right place. Jesus Christ had his heart in the right place. And I read in Hebrews chapter 12, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and... Lay it on me, brethren. Despised the shame. That horrible event of him on the cross, he despised it. It was nothing to him because he looked at the joy that was set before him. Amen. Can we do that and take up our cross daily and follow Him and be His disciples? This is not a social organization. I know I'm repeating myself. I am your ambassador, your servant, to bring you a message from the King. And the King wants some disciples waiting for Him when He returns to this earth. Are you going to be in that number? I want this church to be in that number. Verse 24 Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now do you see what that verse means? It means I'm going to do it, and if you're going to be my disciple and follower, you're going to have to do it also. But listen, brethren, he did it cheerfully and with joy. Do you know what the Bible says about him? He set his face steadfast to go to Jerusalem. He was so committed to going to the suffering of the cross for us. And brethren, your suffering isn't going to amount to a hill of beans compared to his. But it is going to amount to something. There is a cost. There is a price. But it's nothing compared to his. I love Hebrews chapter 12 again. Let me go over there again because I'm going to make you look at it later today. But it says there, ridiculing our complaining about suffering for Christ's sake. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. How many of you have bled this past week? In, in fighting the temptation of sin, bled. I love it. He's making fun of all the whining we do about the little sacrifices that we should be making in our lives. Right. So there's the verse, verse 24 of Matthew 16, that's comparable to Luke 9, 23. Let's go on. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. The point here is that Jesus Christ calls his disciples to a life of suffering. Oh, there can be joy in all the suffering. But I don't really want to say that very often today. I want you to think about the suffering because that's what we got to go through life, making sure that every day we are taking up our cross daily. But there is joy attached. The happiest you'll ever be is the more frequently and fully you're carrying your cross. And here's the verse that proves it. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. If you try to protect your little sins, if you try to protect your television, if you try to protect your selfishness, if you try to protect your time, if you try to protect your money, you lose. That's not me speaking. That's the Lord. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. If you'll give up your television, give up your time, give up your money, give up your selfishness, give up your pride, humble yourself, love your wife, love your husband, train your children, sit down and have family devotions, you will gain your life and that's the only way you can be happy. I have a message from the king for you. If you try to break these rules, you lose. Right, man. There's only one way. This king has only one way to serve him. It's in Luke 9, 23. It's in Matthew 16, 24. And he's giving us a little further explanation here. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What if you had the whole world and you were miserable without having any fellowship with Jesus? You had the whole world. You know, we just sang that in that song that I hope you like, one we haven't sung before. 
that everything in this world is nothing. What if you had the whole thing? What would you do with it? It wouldn't make you happy because you'd want the next world. What does it say? He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. If you had the whole world, but you lost your own soul, you were not happy, and then you died. What's it done for you? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then shall he reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And yes, verses 27 and 28 are referring to the destruction of Jerusalem and the judgment of Jesus Christ upon that nation. Yes, he did come and reward those that loved him with blessings and peace and salvation deliverance and those that wanted to hate him and crucified him and said, let his blood be upon us and on our children. He rewarded them also according to their works. Because it says that this judgment and this appearing of Jesus Christ in power and great glory, if you were to compare this with Mark chapter 8 and Luke chapter 9, you would find out that it is the destruction of Jerusalem, because it would occur while some of these people were yet alive. Either we've got disciples that are over 2,000 years old, or Jesus Christ is a liar, or Matthew 16, 27, and 28 are referring to the destruction of Jerusalem when Jesus Christ did come in His glorious kingdom with kingdom authority and power and destroyed that nation and did it in the most painful way. There's never been a tribulation before or after, like the suffering of the people inside the city walls of Jerusalem. Enough of that. Let's get back to our text. Luke chapter 9. I wanted you to see the context. Luke chapter 9. Can you imagine Peter? Peter's as impulsive as anyone in this room. Jesus says, whom do you say that I am? Peter is given instant inspiration. And he says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in front of all the other apostles, which Peter enjoyed too, Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, Peter, but my Father which is in heaven, and I'm going to rename you right now, and your name is Simon Barjona, and then I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, all this glory and all this power. Isn't that exciting? He's just confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the anointed one of Israel, the deliverer of Israel, and Peter's going to be one of his main men. And then Jesus says, this kingdom is going to involve me going to Jerusalem and suffering many things of the priests and of the elders, and then they're going to kill me. Does Peter like that turn of events? I want you to follow what's going on. No, Peter does not like that at all. And he rebukes the Lord. He rebukes the Lord Jesus Christ and says, be that far from thee. That'll never happen to you. People can't take strong language anymore. I'm so sick about it. I am so sick of having to defend a biblical approach to speech from the pulpit for Jesus Christ. Look at what Jesus Christ calls Peter. How, how nice is that? Satan. He addresses him as Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. And then he rebukes him for what he said, that he did not savor the things that are of God, but he was, he was savoring the things of men because all Peter could think about was a kingdom and a position in that kingdom that would be pleasing to his flesh. Power, glory, riches, prestige, fame, numbers, size, all the things that appeal to men, Jesus Christ just wiped them off and said, that is savoring things by men and not savoring the things of God. 
because the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ is one of suffering and then of death. This message is totally contrary to what the world is teaching today. Amen. Totally contrary. Amen. Contemporary Christianity wants to make your Christianity as pleasant and as pleasing as possible. But true Christians want to be disciples. Because you know where the word Christian came from, don't you? In Acts chapter 11 and verse 26, it says there that the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Amen. The disciples. You want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and be a true Christian? One of his band of faithful ones that are devoted to him, like Mary Magdalene for you women? This is how you do it. One verse, one word, daily. See, if you can remember daily, I'll know you remember the rest. What do I got to do daily? Ah, take up my cross. What does that mean? Denying myself. You got it. That is being a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's what I want to leave you with. We're making progress on our website. I'm excited about it. I'm very appreciative for Matthew's efforts. I hope that you'll look at it and see the progress that's being made and be excited about it also. But what value are words if we are not going to live the lives of discipleship? What if we put together the things that God has shown us and put them out there for the entire world to have access to them and people come and visit us and are able to see that our lives are not lives of discipleship? That is a travesty worse than never having a website. This is very important to me as your pastor and as your servant from Christ. Words are cheap. Talk is cheap. We must walk the walk of being the disciples of Jesus Christ. And no wonder the word walk is used so often in the New Testament. Let us not walk as other Gentiles. Walk as dear children. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, we're back there. He said to them all, if any man will come after me. Of course we know that no man will come after Jesus Christ unless God draws him, don't we? We know that. When it says, if any man will come. Well, what men will come? There's only a few, and they're the ones that God has chosen. Because Jesus would say in John chapter 6 and verse 44, No man can come unto me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And he said it again in that chapter later as they began all leaving him. Because they didn't understand, they didn't want this message of true discipleship. We understand that because the Bible tells us that there is none that seeketh after God. There is none that understandeth. Only a few out of humanity are spoken to by God and drawn to where they want to be the disciples of Jesus Christ. They are the ones that have the opportunity of Luke 9.23 to be his faithful disciples. If any man will, come after me. But it's also true that if God has shown his grace toward us so that you can hear this message and have in your heart some desire toward being a disciple of Jesus Christ, it is an opportunity of yours to either use that grace of God or to have it bestowed upon you in vain and for it not to amount to all that it could. I've preached on that recently. We're to grow in grace. Because the grace of God is to give us opportunities like this to serve Him. And some men serve Him more. Some men take their talents and multiply them. And some men take their talents and bury them in the earth. There are some men like the Apostle Paul who just thought that it was the most incredible thing in the universe that God would save him. 
He called himself the chiefest of sinners, and he spent the rest of his life running himself crazy for the Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone else scales down from Paul. But, oh, brethren, can we try to get close? Can we try to get close? Here is an offer from the Lord of glory, not of eternal life, but of personal discipleship. True Christianity is a choice to follow Jesus and to repudiate everything that displeases Him. That's what true Christianity is. It's not answering an employment application or some other questionnaire in the mail by checking off the box, Christian. When you have the choices of Buddhist, Christian, Hindu, or Muslim. That isn't Christianity. You know, when you look in the Almanac, a third of the world's Christian. But there's very few disciples. And what we're talking about this morning is being a disciple of the King Jesus. Do you want to be His disciple? This is the way that we are His disciples. It's not a light matter and it's not an easy matter. It has conditions. Let's look at Luke 14, which is just a few pages away. Because I want you to see that there's a cost in discipleship. And we've preached this before. But I want you to take what I've preached before and take it with you today and look at the cost of discipleship as a daily cost instead of, okay, I've made some big decisions, I was baptized, I joined this small, insignificant, unknown church, I read the King James Bible, forget all that. Let's talk about the television, your emotions, your gentleness, your speech, your thoughts, where you go, what you read, what you do, how you treat the children, how you treat your husband, how you treat your spouse, all those things. That's where we find out if you really want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Luke 14, verse 25, There went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, And brethren, I must chase a short little rabbit here. Never forget that that I hope, by the grace of God, that the way we approach the pulpit and our church is the way that Jesus Christ lived his life in this world. This is how he treated multitudes that were following him. He did not look to make it comfortable for them, nor easy for them, nor pleasant for them. This is what he said to them when he had a large crowd. He didn't build a bigger building. He just realized that he needed to get the truth out so that they could fit in the small building again. Do you understand that? And that is true of any church in the world. If they'd speak the truth, they wouldn't need such a big complex. Luke 14, verse 25, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and here's this discipleship thing, there's some, this whole multitude thinks they want to be his disciples. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That is That is hard language. That is harsh language. That is demanding language. But that is what the king has sent me to tell you. And if he were here, I hope this is in the red writing in your Bibles, if you have a red letter edition, this is what he would say. Right. No earthly relationship is of any importance compared to me. That's what he's saying. Including your relationship with yourself. Including all the things you do to protect yourself, pamper yourself, and please yourself. If you don't hate even yourself, you cannot 
Not you won't be a great one. You cannot be my disciple. Brethren, hear me. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, all you children think you want to be baptized, what do you know about being a disciple? You want to be baptized. Well, all you're doing is saying, I'm going to live a life like a disciple of Jesus Christ. That means you have to be able to say no to yourself when you want to do something that's wrong. That is baptism. Baptism just gets you started. Do you want to be a disciple? Well, then get baptized and live it. But living it is being able to say no, denying yourself. It's, it's making Jesus Christ more important than anyone. Amen. If your whole family goes and worships somewhere else, you're willing to come here and worship. Right. Is there anyone in here that does that? If all of your relatives think you're a nut because you belong to such a small, strange, different, isolated Baptist church then so be it. Jesus Christ taught it right here. And He says in verse 27, And whosoever doth not... There He is with those words again. We we certainly want to look at those, don't we? Bear His cross and come after Me. Cannot be My disciple. If you're not willing to take up a cross, you cannot be His disciple. And then He gives two illustrations, building a tower and fighting a war. And in both illustrations, He's pointing out that men have to make choices. When a man wants to build a tower, he has to sit down and calculate how much it's going to cost, factor in budget overruns in America, and then determine if he's got money to pay for it. When a man's going to fight a war, he's got to count up his troops, count up the enemy troops, and make a decision, can I take on that many enemy troops with my troops? Both of those are major decisions. Life threatening financial life or physically life-threatening decisions. They're large decisions and they're measuring a cost. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ, Jesus, this is His invitation. When Jesus offers an invitation, He says, if any man wants to come after Me, he needs to sit down and count up the cost. I'm not going to let him watch television. I'm going to take a lot of his time. I'm going to take some of his money. I'm going to take away his selfishness. He won't be allowed to be bitter against his wife. The women are going to have to submit to their husbands. They're going to have to sit down and lead the family in devotions. Wow. Well, do you know what happens? What happened in Jesus' day? After he'd fed the multitudes, calmed the storms, raised the dead, healed the sick, cast out devils, and caused the blind to see, what did people do when they heard that message? Bye-bye. And they walked away. In John chapter 6, he was left with the twelve. And you know what Jesus said to them? Will ye go away also? And they said, To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. You are our Lord and Master, and we are your disciples in life and in death. They didn't live up to it all the time, but they meant it there. The Apostle Paul did. He said, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Every one of you is making a decision right now. Wow, here we go again. You're thinking... There goes the pastor again, making Christianity so hard, making it so hard to be a Christian. I'm speaking on behalf of your king. I am not making it worse than the king would if he were here. And I'm certainly not going to make it easier. Probably am, though. Because we're all carnally tainted, even your pastor. Jesus Christ wasn't. No carnality in him at all. And I don't want any. Verse 33. 
So likewise, like these two decisions that men have to make, building or fighting a war, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. If you are not willing to forsake all that you have, all your ambitions, all your thoughts, plans, dreams, hopes, abilities, if you're not willing to forsake it all, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you cannot be his disciple. That is how strict our Lord Jesus Christ is. There is no other way of being a Christian. There is no other way of being a Christian defined by the Bible. There is either the Lord's way or there is the highway. And this highway leads to two hells. Do you understand that? There is the Lord's way or there is the highway. That's an expression that we use today. It's either my way or the highway, a boss may say to his employees. I want to say to you, it's either the Lord's way or it's the highway to two hells. One in this life and one in the life to come. And do you know what life is like with him? Joy and peace. But remember I said I wasn't going to say it very often. But every now and then I'm going to put a little tiny bit of salve on that if you choose to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Master and be his disciple, it's the only way to have joy and peace that lasts and is true and is genuine and fills your soul and satisfies you and makes life livable. And more than that, the abundant life is by being a disciple. And to every degree you compromise, to every degree you compromise, everything you hold back from Jesus Christ, money, time, temperament, wife, marriage, children, devotions, everything you compromise, you cheat yourself. Back to Luke chapter 9. Let's not be like Peter. You need to forget every idea and concept of being a Christian you've ever heard of. Right. Being a Christian cannot be compartmentalized to Sundays because it says daily. Being a Christian cannot be just an outward performance at assemblies. That's hypocrisy and you're not giving up a thing. That's what most of the world does. They have a form of godliness without any power. There's no authority in it. And see, I just addressed you with the authority. Notice what I said. I have a message from the king, and the king says, if you're not willing to forsake all, you cannot be my disciple. That's a lot of authority. That's the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ able to say, you better be willing to throw away everything you've got for me. That's a lot of authority. There's a thing in men's minds they'd love to be. This is, this is the way that it pops up in my head. A successful Christian businessman. And, you, and it conjures up this image in my head. Best car. Drive to church in the best car. Best suit. Biggest house. Prettiest wife. Most successful in job. Highest title. And yes, I show up. Yes. And we thumb out the money and we give and we're a big sneeze. And see, that's a lot of the world. There's whole churches in Greenville made up of that. It's social networking among the upper crust in Greenville, and they do it in the name of religion. And it infects all of us. We'd like to be this. I'm just giving you an example of a successful Christian businessman. I want both. I want to be a successful businessman and I'll squeeze Christian in there also. Do you know what the Bible says? It says you can't serve two masters. Amen. 
It says godliness with contentment is great gain. The love of money is the root of all evil. It says they that will be rich fall into temptation and many foolish and hurtful lusts. It says, okay, there's another way that we can skate around being a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Well, I, I want to understand the truth and I want to know the truth and I want to go to a church that teaches the truth. Yes, I love truth and I want to stand for the truth. And whenever I hear a lie, I'm going to let it go both barrels, baby, because I love truth. And I'm going to go to a church where they read the King James Bible only and they make fun of all the other Bibles. And I want to go to a church that preaches election and makes fun of Arminians. You aren't a disciple. Whatever, whatever mind game you play, then play it right now. So I, since I can't play it, but I'm trying to get as close as I can. There's all these different things that we want to do and it's not truly being a disciple. And that's why I'm saying to you right now, forget every concept or idea that you have in your head of what it is to be a Christian. What it is to be a Christian. Peter didn't know. Did you see what happened to Peter? As soon as the Lord told Peter that he was going to be an important car, an important person in his kingdom, Peter automatically was thinking all these things I'm talking about. Prestige, power, money, fame, authority. And Jesus just wiped it off the desk and said, No, I am going to Jerusalem to suffer and to die. And it just blew Peter's mind. I, I want you to see that. And right now I want to blow your minds. The life of a true... Christian, a true disciple of Jesus Christ, is one of suffering, self-denial, because self-denial is suffering. Right. When you want to do something and you won't let yourself do it, that is suffering. And that is what I'm going to try to teach you today. And yes, I know my time, and yes, I'm not that far from finishing for this morning. Self-denial is suffering. I want to do something. But I'm not going to do it because Jesus Christ does not want me to do that. That is the suffering of self-denial. I don't want to do something that Jesus wants me to do. I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. That suffering in the sense of self-denial. And don't downplay it one bit. It is. If you don't suffer in the way of denying things, you're not yet a disciple. Because discipleship includes suffering. As you do the suffering, the Lord provides the joy and the peace in doing it. But it's suffering when you get started. This modern idea, brethren, of contemporary Christianity, that being a Christian is an easy thing, show up for 55 minutes like I did last time. 55 minutes. You know, come in your shorts and tank top. Come in your you know, SUV from the beach. Don't worry about a thing. Don't bring no Bible, no hymnal, no nothing. Just come and pop in for 55 minutes and call that being a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's not a disciple of anything. Right. It's a lover of this world. And what I'm trying to do is just we got to blow all that out. And we got to blow out what we may have thought in the past. Some of us have been, we thought we were disciples where all we did was glory and truth. And there wasn't enough emphasis on the life of self-denial. We were, we were getting away from savoring the things that be of God. Because the things that be of God are hating this world and loving heavenly things and waiting for Jesus to return from heaven for us. Amen. It's loving one another. It's having a church based on love and caring for one another and serving one another rather than just getting together to hear some bashing of some other error. And I can do that, and I've done it. But what I really want to give you is being true disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen. Our truth, our church, our faith, 
our hope, and our lives are only as good as this text. If we are not taking up our crosses daily, denying ourselves and following him, what is our church? What is our gospel? What is our truth? If we're not going to live the life of discipleship for Jesus Christ. The verse says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Christianity is a life of self-denial. Look at the book of Titus. Titus chapter 2. All we see around us are people doing whatever they want. The only kind of Christianity we see, basically, are people doing, living, any way they want. Our flesh, guess what? It wants to do whatever it wants. And so the two of them get along real well. Our flesh sees all these other Christians doing whatever they want, and so it convinces itself, well, that must be all there is to Christianity. And see, I have to preach against all that, and that's a, that's a crescendo noise of 168 hours a week, and I've got to come along and say, that isn't Christianity at all. Right. Christianity is one of self-denial. Not allowing yourself to do what you want to do. You children understand that? When you deny yourself, that means you don't do what you want to do. If you want four cookies and you've eaten three and you don't eat the fourth one, you've denied yourself the fourth cookie. If your parents are gone and you could watch television while they're gone, but you don't do it, you've denied yourself watching television even though you may have wanted to. That's denying yourself. Look at Titus chapter 2. Here's what it says about the true gospel of God. Verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that. Here is what the grace of God should teach us. Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. We must deny anything that is not according to God and anything that is based in this world's value system. Worldly lusts. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, not looking for a bigger house, not looking for more money, not looking for a prettier wife, not looking for anything, not looking for a happier marriage necessarily, but looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. And those things are to be taught... With all authority, let no man despise thee. That's why I have come this morning and have said to you, I am speaking on behalf of your king, the King Jesus, whom you will all kneel before, whom you will all be forced to worship as Lord. He's giving you an advance warning. Humble yourselves, including me, And live a life of self-denial because that's what the gospel is. Titus chapter 2 verse 11, and it's to be taught with authority. It is not taught with authority hardly anywhere anymore. The life of self-denial. Athletes know all about the life of self-denial. And Paul used athletes in 1 Corinthians 9 verses 24 through 27 when he said when when they run in a race, they all run for one spot. And what is that? First place. Everybody wants to be first place. First. Nobody ever aims for second They're aiming for first. You know, this past three weeks, there's been an interesting athletic event in the world. If you have any interest in athletics, it's the Tour de France. 
2,100 miles on bicycles through the Swiss and French Alps and through the French Pyrenees Mountains. Incredible. Some of the great, you know what that great is coming down from uh, Flat Rock, North Carolina toward Traveler's Rest? That's a 6% grade. There were sections of that race where they did 14% grades on bikes. 10,000 calories a day. Do you know what you got to eat to get 10,000 calories in? A lot. That's more than two brownies. 10,000 calories a day. But the advertise Lance Armstrong is the writer for the U.S. Postal System. We have a team over there of about 15 people. There's a chef included. Why is a chef included for a bicycle team? Because they have to eat absolutely the right things at the right times that have the right combination of protein, carbohydrates, and fat in order to be able to perform six hours a day in a bicycle saddle at 90 RPMs, averaging 25 miles per hour. And it isn't flat. There's an ad for Nike. Lance Armstrong is sitting there. He's been accused of being on drugs because the American he's winning right now. It's already over. Let's see, it's 12 o'clock here. It's 11.30 here. <coughs> He's riding in the city of Paris right now. He's the champion again, third year in a row. There's an advertisement for him because he's been accused of being on drugs because he has dominated the field so severely all three years. Whenever he wants to take a stage of this race, he just takes it. And he says, what do you think I'm on? He says, I'm on my bike six hours a day. That's what I'm on. I said all of that to tell you this. Athletes know all about the life of self-denial. And the picture that is on that ad is him riding his bike in a rainstorm. Six hours a day on his bike, that's what I'm on. As athletes understand that to be one and to live the life of self-denial, there's a reward out there. But brethren, what kind of a reward do they have? Do you know that in about one week, nobody's going to remember who won the Tour de France? I mean, well, they might remember who won. Two years, they won't. In two years, they'll have to go back to their sports almanac to figure out that it was Lance Armstrong in the year 2001. It's so fleeting. You know, after two days of excitement, he's going to be back home with his kids and diapers and howling babies, just like everyone else. It's nothing. It's a corruptible crown. And guess what? He's going to die. He's going to take none of it with him. No glory is going to descend into hell with him. They do it for a corruptible crown. Brethren, we're doing it for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I started out with the context. Who, who do you say that I am? I'm asking all of you right now. Right. Who do you say that my king is? If he's the Christ, the son of the living God, he is worthy of us giving up a few little things. Amen. If those men will give it up to wear a yellow jacket, the, the leader of the Tour de France gets to wear a yellow jacket. Neato. I don't know of anyone in this room that would even wear a yellow jacket. I, I say that because it's a corruptible crown. Amen. The whole context starts out with, I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God. I have kingdom authority, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against me. Amen. You want to be my disciple? I'm going to go suffer and die. Will you suffer and die with me? Can we, can we all jump up and punch the air and say yes? Amen. Don't do it. Because you'd startle your neighbors, but can we, where's the zeal for Christianity like they have for a corruptible crown? Right. 365 days a year, they are eating exactly what they're supposed to eat, exactly when they're supposed to eat it. They are training just the way they're supposed to, not too hard. 
You'll overtrain. You'll peak too early. They have to peak during the middle of that 21-day race. Incredible precision. Incredible dedication. Incredible devotion. Incredible amount of pain. Have you ever pedaled really, really fast on a bike for four minutes? And you felt that burning of lactic acid in your quadricep, which is that big muscle that runs down the top of your leg. You know what I'm talking about? Just behind the kneecap, something like fire starts to burn in your quadricep. That's lactic acid building up, telling your body to quit. Well, they just do it for five hours a day for three weeks. And they've trained themselves to get there, and they go right through that pain. Forget all that now. Paul did it, so I did it. In Paul's day, all they got were a few olive leaves on their head in the form of a crown. I mean, Lance gets a jacket at least. But now, what, are, what kind of Christians are we going to be? Lance is going to go home, and he's going to be thinking about next year. After a day or two, no more cake, no more champagne, no more celebrating. You're going to go home today, brethren. This is, you're going to go home today, and I want this church to be saved for the glory of Jesus Christ, Amen. what cross are you going to take up today? Are things a little tense between you and your wife? Are you going to deny yourself of waiting for her to come to you and go to her? You haven't been reading your Bible every day. Are you going to make sure that you read it for some private devotions today? Are you going to take up your cross today? Our eyes see things we want. We have to cover our eyes and deny ourselves. That's why I rail on television. Our flesh craves things we want. It's the lust of the flesh. We've got to starve it and deny ourselves. The pride of life is in all of us. We all want to be a big sneeze in some way. We don't like to humble ourselves and serve others. Jesus came as a servant. He wants us to be servants. Amen. We deny ourselves. By nature, we default to sin. So we, we default to sin always, only, and quickly if we're not taking up our cross every day to follow Jesus Christ. Are you too proud to confess your faults to your spouse? Are you too proud to say, I was wrong? When was the last time all of you said to your spouse, I am sorry, I was wrong, will you forgive me? That's denying yourself because self never wants to do that. Do I have agreement on that? Any amens on that? Amen. Self never wants to do that. When was the last time you did it? It's a good test. That's why I bring it up every now and then. How do I know that it's a good test? You all know how I know. Because as face answereth to face in water, so the heart of man to man. But I want to be good at saying, I am sorry, I am wrong, will you forgive me? Because I know that it's denying myself and being the way the Savior wants me to be. Amen. Are you waiting for your spouse to initiate more affection in your marriage? You know, this kind of if stuff. If they do this, then I do that. If you're a true disciple of Jesus Christ, you're going to take up your cross, deny yourself, and go after them. I tell you the truth. I speak on behalf of your king. Is it hard to get up 15 minutes early to read and pray before work? Deny yourself and get up 15 minutes early and read and pray before you go to work. Take up your cross daily and follow him. Is it easier to come home after work and work in the yard or read a book than to lead devotions? Deny yourself and be a disciple of Jesus Christ or you're going down the tubes. 
Have you stayed up very late on Saturday nights for many years? Deny yourself. Put Jesus Christ first and be his disciple. You know why I'm referring to late Saturday nights? Have you slept in very late on Sunday mornings so that you never come prepared? You're always being pressed? Deny yourself. You know you should give financially to the Lord, but you can't find anything left over? Deny yourself and give to the Lord first as you're supposed to. You say that gentleness just isn't part of your nature? That's why he said deny yourself. Take up your cross and be gentle. But I have a quick temper and I get angry fast. Deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. Does reading the Bible take time, effort, and a lot of concentration, especially when you're tired? Yes, it does. Deny yourself and take up your cross. It's all the suffering you're going to have to endure. When Jesus Christ hung on the cross for you, it's so small. I hear people say, I don't have enough time. I laugh. There's 168 hours in a week. We can do absolutely anything we want to. And you know what Jesus Christ says? Deny yourself and do what I want you to. A church in our city says, if you'll come back, we promise not to throw the book at you. I'm not trying to throw the book at you. I just wanted to tell you what Jesus Christ is expecting from all of us. And he's not expecting more from you than he is from me. We've all got our list of things that we know that we are not doing well at denying ourselves and taking up our cross daily. And I can't take long enough right now to go through that list to get every one of you. But I hope I've gotten some of you. And if I haven't got you, then humble yourself and make up your own list and know that there are things in which you can deny yourself. You are not important. You are nothing. We are scum. We are worms. We are depraved rebels. We are enemies of God, and he has loved us and saved us, and that includes the pastor when I say that. We owe him all that we can give, and he is so merciful. His burden is light, and his yoke is easy. But are we willing to be his disciples? He says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. We'll take up the rest of this this evening. Brethren, do not cheat my Lord Jesus Christ. I warn you for the salvation of your own souls and your families. You cheat me, I may not see into your home. Eventually I will, because the results will reveal themselves to the whole congregation. But Jesus Christ sees in there, and if you're cheating him, and you're cheating on what his ambassador is teaching you, and you're cheating on being a true disciple, it is going to come back to destroy your life, your family, in this world, and you have no evidence that you have another world waiting for you. Right. May the Lord Jesus Christ who is our king, bless the preaching of his word. Amen.